Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Welcome here in Waukesha and Pewaukee and online, wherever your location, on the other side of the camera. So good uh, to have you with us. Hope you're doing well. Uh, 2020 has been a, a strange year. Had to have been a tough, uh, tough uh, year. And uh, do people seem a little angrier uh, these days? Seems like anger's on the rise, doesn't it? Anger's in the uh, air. You know, it seems like everywhere you go, everywhere you uh, look, uh, it, it seems like it seems like we're uh, we're mad. It's a mad world. And so I'm I'm curious. A little survey. Uh, how many of you would uh, admit, you know, in the last week, you know, that you got a little angry last week? You remember a time getting a little bit upset? Okay, yeah, quite a few. Uh, how about in the last uh, day, last 24 hours? Anybody get a little make a little angry, a little mad? Uh, how about in the last hour today? Anybody? Anybody get a little upset? Okay, yeah. Uh, anybody getting mad because I'm asking so many questions uh, this morning? Yeah, that's fair. That's totally, that's totally fair. According to recent surveys, 84% of Americans say we're angrier now than a generation ago. Half of us say that we are angrier now than one year ago. And 70% of us say that we get angry every day over something that we uh, hear or see on the news. Can anybody uh, resonate uh, with that? And these surveys were done before COVID-19, so you know what? They're probably even, even higher now. It's a mad world. I came across a poem. It goes like this. We're angry at the news and angry at opposing views. We're angry on the roads and angry at final episodes. We're angry with those we know and angry at how much it snows. We're angry at gas prices and angry at our neighbors' vices. We're angry at the polls, angry at internet trolls. We're even angry at the face we see in the mirror. Isn't that true sometimes? It seems like the world has gone mad. Take a look at, this is probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible about anger. It's a great verse from the book of James in the New Testament. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's a great verse. I need that verse. Some of you probably have heard this verse before, but... Many people don't know that the next verse really gives the reason why James gives this command. He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God uh, desires. And so if we want to accomplish God's mission, God's dream in our lives, in our church, in our communities, anger is not going to get us there. Bursts of anger are not going to get us there. And so there's got to be a better way. And uh, we're going to discover that in the next several weeks. Today we begin a new series. It's called, uh, it's a mad, 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 mad world. And our goal is to release our anger and find the peace that, that, that Jesus offers to us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at different ways that we direct our anger. The last weekend of this series, uh, you don't want to miss. It's August 15th and 16th. We're calling it Student Takeover Weekend. Garrett Johnston, many of the high school students are literally, they're going to take over the weekend service, and it's going to be really cool. It's going to be awesome, and uh, don't miss that. That's the last weekend of this uh, series. Week three of the series, we're going to talk about mad at them, ways that we get angry at the uh, world. Whoever them is for you could be people of different religions, different denominations, different ethnicities, different political uh, affiliations. Uh, Mad at them. How do we deal with that. Next week, we're going to talk about mad at us. Uh, this might come as a shock, but uh, sometimes, did you know this, that Christians get angry with each other? Have you been on Facebook the last 10 seconds? Um, angry at us. We're going to talk about, you know, how to, how to deal with that kind of anger. But today, 
Uh, I want to talk about mad at me. Not, ma- not mad at me. I hope you're not mad at me. Point at yourself. Sometimes the person that we're angriest with is ourselves. And uh, we're going to learn that all four of these weeks are really interrelated. And when we find peace internally, it helps us to really love others and carry out the mission, the dream that Jesus has for our lives and for our world. So today I want to talk about anger with ourselves. We've all done things. We've all said things, right, that have made, our, that have, that have made us mad. We all have regrets, like, like uh, some of these people. I think they might have some regrets, like this guy right here. You know, he might be awesome, but uh, his spelling is not awesome. Yeah, look at this one. That the tattoo it says arm. Thank you for that clarification. It is my life, John Bovey. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an oops right there. Regret, no hing. Yeah, nothing spells regret like a skin piercing with permanent uh, ink in a typo. Yeah, but uh, tattoos aside, all of us have regrets. Could be small things, could be more significant things. I have regrets. Sometimes people think pastors are better than they really are, but we have regrets. We have Failures. I don't want to make this my own counseling session, but I could, I could share many regrets with you from my life. We all have regrets. And the regrets fall into two categories. One, one category would be regrets of actions, okay? These are the times we just kind of hit ourselves in the forehead, like, why in the world did I do that? Lies that we told, money that we've blown, relationships that we've torpedoed, addictions that we've fed, dumb choices that we made, rage that we unleashed, uh, regrets of action. And then there are also regrets of inaction, things left undone, where we say, you know, if only I would have, but we can't go back and change things like opportunities missed, time wasted, risks that we didn't take, love that we didn't express, forgiveness that we withheld, words unspoken. And researchers say, I thought this is interesting, that uh, typically we regret actions in the short term, but in the long term, we tend to regret inaction, inaction. Take a look at what the Book of Common Prayer offers us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against thee in thought, word, and deed by what we've done, regrets of action, and by what we have left undone, regrets of inaction. And like a misspelled tattoo, I mean, we wish we could remove that regret with some quick laser surgery, or covered up with more ink. But sadly, many of us hold on to regrets, and we get stuck in what's been called the sorry cycle. The sorry cycle is an endless pattern of longing and regret and anger with ourselves. We can't seem to shake what we've done or left undone. Psychologists have a term for this. They call the sorry cycle rumination. Uh, rumination is like a cow chewing its cud. Cows continually you know, move their jaws. And in our mind, we continually chew on our regrets. We long to make it right, but we're never able to do that. And it only leads to more regret and anger. But what if it's possible to move beyond our regrets? What if regret can actually be a helpful emotion? What if regret can launch us in a new and a better direction in our life with a deeper, stronger relationship with Jesus and a greater sense of peace. It's possible if you begin to see your regrets, not as a finishing line, but as a starting uh, line. But there's one step that you and I often take that doesn't help us. We hide 
our regrets. And it makes sense. I mean, if you have a misspelled tattoo on your shoulder, you're probably going to wear long sleeves, right? We naturally want to keep our regrets hidden. But here's the problem. The, the, the regret may be hidden, but it's still there. It's not dead. It's like buried alive. And like anything buried alive, it's going to scratch and scratch until it eventually gets back to the uh, surface. That's why I brought along a, a beach ball uh, here uh, today. Anybody ever play with a beach ball uh, before? Uh, yeah, quite a few. Yeah, I mean, maybe you played some volleyball with a beach ball. Beach balls can illustrate what it's like to hide our regrets. You ever take a, 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 a beach ball, maybe a bigger beach ball than this, into the water, maybe a swimming pool or a lake or something, and uh, it's kind of fun. You, you, you shove the beach ball under the, the water, and what does the beach ball want to do immediately? Yeah, it wants to, <laughs> it wants to pop right, right, uh, right back up. Yeah, it shoots back up in the air. I had a lot of fun uh, with this this weekend and, and in rehearsal, shooting water um, everywhere. Yeah, I'll admit I'm easily entertained. Uh, but that's what, that's what our regrets are like, any kind of a regret. It, it's like a beach ball that wants to come back to the surface. It could be a divorce, a DUI, a harsh word that pushes away, drives away a person. It could be a, a repeated sin pattern in your life, a, a, a job, uh, job loss, a, a divorce. You know, we don't want to think about it. And so what we do is we just shove that regret underneath the surface. And uh, sometimes we can get really good at pretending like it's not really there. And, you know, we want other, other people to think, oh, you know, there's nothing to see there. You know, look at me. You know, look how successful I am. Look how wonderful my uh, family is. Uh, look how uh, happy I am. But internally, man, I'm feeling stressed out. I'm feeling distracted because I'm holding down this uh, regret. You know, one of the problems with regrets is that they're exhausting. Yeah, I mean, I can probably hold this ball under here. Uh, it's, it's harder than it looks. I could probably hold it under here maybe 30 minutes. You know, you put some money on it. Maybe I could hold it under here for uh, 30 minutes. But imagine holding this under here for an hour or 12 hours or 24 hours or a week, a month, a year, a decade. That would be exhausting. It gets exhausting. And what eventually happens is that beach ball, that regret, comes back to the surface. Here's another problem with uh, re regrets. It can keep us from really reaching forward uh, and grabbing a hold of a good opportunity in, in, in front of us. You know, maybe there's something that God wants to put, something good God wants to put in our life, but I'm held back. I can't really move very far. I'm kind of paralyzed. I'm held back by this regret. And so there's a, a, a new job opportunity, a new business opportunity, but I'm, I'm distracted from giving that my full attention. I'm held back. Or a new relationship, and I really want to pursue it, but I'm paralyzed by this regret, and, and what happens? You know, it just leads to more regret and beach balls and anger with ourselves, which brings us to a story found in the Old Testament of the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 11, where we read about how King David hid his regret. God handpicked King David. David had great respect and power, uh, but while his men went off to fight in a war, he stayed back at the palace and took it easy. And one evening, he's walking around on the rooftop of his palace, and he notices this beautiful woman next door taking a bath, as was the custom. And so he says to his servants, you know, 
who is that? He sees this beautiful woman. Who is that? And they say to him, that's Bathsheba. But they don't just say that's Bathsheba. They say that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Now, David knows Uriah. Uriah is one of his best soldiers. He's gone to battle with Uriah. That's Uriah's wife. But David says, why don't you go and get her? Now, I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he thinks he's stronger than he really is or... Maybe he's thinking, you know, I'm just going to see how she's doing. I'm just going to check in on her and just make sure that everything's going okay. I'm not going to let things go too far. But you probably know the story. David's lust overrules his judgment. He sleeps with Bathsheba. And if he felt guilty or regret about it the next day, you never would have known. Because he just shoved that regret beneath the surface. He chooses to hide what he's done. He convinces himself nobody's going to find out. But that beach ball comes back to the surface. Because Bathsheba comes back and says, I'm pregnant. David, I'm pregnant. And it's difficult to hide a a pregnancy. And David's got a choice to make. Will he come clean? Or will he continue to hide what he's done? And David makes the choice to just push even harder on that beach ball. He gets this idea to bring Uriah home from battle. He figures Uriah would probably like to spend some time at home, you know, with his with his uh, wife, and maybe if he spends some time at home with his wife, eventually he's going to think that child is his, not somebody else's. But Uriah is a man of honor. You know, Uriah goes home because the king orders him to, to come home, but he refuses to enjoy the pleasures of home and, and sleeping with his wife while his men are out on the battlefield. Uriah sleeps on the doorstep of the palace, and the beach ball becomes an even bigger problem for David. Again, David faces a choice. Am I going to come clean or am I going to continue to hide it? He, he hides it. So David sends uh, Uriah back into battle, but he also sends a confidential letter to the generals telling them to send Uriah to the front of the battle line where the fighting is the fiercest. Tell all the other men to retreat and abandon him so that he gets attacked and killed by the enemy. And now David not only holds the regret of adulterer and liar, now he's a murderer, which shows, how we, we, which shows how our regrets just tend to lead to more regrets. We deal with shame by doing more shameful things, which creates more beach balls and more anger in our, in our lives. And so one year passes, and David thinks that he's uh, gotten away with it. No one knows. No one's questioning him. He invites Bathsheba to move into the palace. She becomes his wife. No one's ever going to find out. But in Psalm 32, David reveals how it felt to hide his regret. When I kept silent, he says, when I you know, lived with my regret and uh, you know, nobody knew and I thought I was getting away with it, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I wasn't getting away with anything. For day and night, he's talking to God, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. No one knows about it, but David knows. And see, that's what shame will do. It doesn't care if anybody else knows. Shame makes sure that you know. And David feels exhausted and miserable. He feels distant from God. It affects him spiritually and relationally and even physically. And God's not happy with him. So God sends Nathan, a prophet, to tell David a story. It's not a true story. It's a parable. But David doesn't know that. And I want you to just imagine David hiding his regrets, hoping that no one No one ever finds out. And uh, Nathan says to uh, David, hey, David, I want to tell you a story. There was this uh, wealthy man, rich man, who had lots of sheep. He had all kinds of sheep, but his next-door neighbor was very poor and just had one sheep. 
the rich man steals that one sheep from his poor neighbor, and the rich man puts on a barbecue for his family and friends. What do we do about the rich man? Look at how David responds. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David responds with outrage at this story. See, this is what regrets do. They can make us defensive and angry. We point at somebody else and their sin because if their sin is bigger than ours, maybe nobody will notice mine. We try to hide our guilt behind somebody else's sin, and it makes us feel like we're off the hook. And so David responds with defensiveness and anger. And I wonder how long Nathan paused before he responded to David's anger, because Nathan knows that what happened to Uriah could happen to him. He could be next. I imagine the tension building, but then Nathan said to David, he said, you are, you are the man. You're the rich man in the story. And the beach ball pops up and breaks through the surface. Nathan goes on to tell David that God has revealed to him the adultery and the deceit and the murder. And again, David has a choice. Do I come clean or do I keep hiding it? I mean, he could get rid of Nathan, but thankfully, David makes a better choice this time. David said to Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And I wonder if you've ever said those words, I have sinned against the Lord. Notice how David doesn't, you know, minimize what he did. He didn't say, oh, it was an accident or, you know, I slipped up. I made a mistake. No, he calls it, he calls it what it is, sin. And he begins to grieve his sin and own it. I read that the Oxford Junior Dictionary, they've actually taken the word sin out of the dictionary. They removed it. And here's the explanation. They gave, the word sin has fallen into disuse and is no longer relevant to the younger generation. You know why it's no longer in use and, and relevant for many people is because what most people do with their regrets is they try to destroy the evidence. They just try to hide it, you know, shove it under the water. Let's, let's bury it. Let's not call it a sin. But that beach ball sits under the surface, draining your energy, feeding your guilt and shame. And it can lead to depression and uh, anxiety. But there's a better way. There's a better way. Remember, regret can be a helpful emotion. It can be a starting line, not a finishing line. It can launch you in a new and a better direction in your life. I want you to hear from a guy in our church named Mike, who Mike actually attends our Pewaukee uh, campus. And I want you to hear him tell, tell the story about how God used his regrets. Take a look. Before I, I, I Jesus, I can say, found me, my life was, uh, was pretty bad. You know, I had a very low self-esteem. I've been in and out of um, prison and jail. I always consider myself a good person, but I just made a lot of mistakes. And with mistakes, you know, when you get ashamed and embarrassed and you, you want to hide and you just want to, um, you know, you just want to crawl in a hole and just be left alone. And that was my, um, that was my thing. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to um, just forget who I was and... Uh, I lived in a, in a world, I guess, of hopelessness. By the miracle of, of Jesus and God, really, um, you know, I was in, uh, I, was, I was sitting in jail, came into jail. I had no idea why I was there. 
was being filled with the Holy Spirit while there. Just uh, everything being thrown my way was um, the people I was meeting was was Christian based and um, talking about God. And I picked up the Bible and everything was standing out in like selfish ways, my lustful ways, my wanting, my my deceit, my lies, my um, just everything was very crystal clear and um, I just got this power of I am not in control God is in control of life and he was telling me relax Mike I got this and um, since then my life has done a complete 180 um, you know you, you get to a point in your life when you're you're tired of hiding you're tired of lying you're tired of, of just being afraid and you know God did not create us to be afraid we are not meant to be afraid we're meant to to help each other to love each other to be good to each other I had the urge when I got out of jail like when I started going to church I knew I needed to get baptized again I knew it and I felt it in me and um, spoke to Dave and said hey I need to get baptized and he set up a date for me and um it was supposed to be a bunch of us getting baptized and a bunch of people got sick and a bunch of people couldn't show up, so it was just me, but my family was there. It's been a new me and it's been a new life. Um, I'm not 100% perfect or cured or, um, you know, living the life that I know I could live, but I'm, you know, I spent a good 25, 30 years messing my life up with my choices and it's not gonna get cleaned up in a year, um, but I'm well on my way. If you would have asked me a year ago, I'd be sitting in River Glen giving me a testimony about my life. I would have thought you were crazy. Um, I'd be going to AA or being in groups and being active in the, in the community. Um, I wouldn't have believed it. I was a very selfish and just, and I was a miserable person. And I'm, I'm happy today. And. Um, you know, every day I smile and I pray every day and I thank God life has been awesome, really, really awesome. Yeah, let's give Mike a hand. I really appreciate him sharing his story, how God's working in his life. Mike had regrets and several times he just says, he got tired of, tired of hiding them. And so he admitted them to God. And uh, that was a starting line for him. God launched him in a whole new direction in his, his life. Mike got baptized, and then he went through the Alpha class, and now he volunteers over at Pewaukee. Mike released his anger, and he found peace and freedom in Jesus. And I know, I know this isn't easy uh, to do. I know, you know, when I, when I fail, the last thing I feel like doing is to come, come clean uh, before God and bring it into the light. But that's what it takes to break out of that uh, sorry cycle and find freedom and joy. Sometimes people say things like, you know, oh, there's no way I could ever tell God. No way. But he already knows. I mean, what you share with him, what you reveal to him is not going to come as a surprise, but he needs to hear it from you because that's what a real relationship with God looks like. And God can't heal what you don't reveal to him. Look at what David says happened when he revealed his sin to God. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my 
sin. This would be a great verse for us to memorize. This word forgive here, forgave, means to lift a heavy burden, carry it away. But I want you to notice something really important in this verse. David doesn't say, God, you forgave my sin. He says, God, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Yeah, some of you maybe grew up in a church where you were taught that Jesus forgives sin, but the part that got skipped over is that he also forgives the guilt of sin. Uh, Some of you were taught Jesus forgives you, but you still need to feel bad about it for the rest of your life. But you know what? That's not the gospel. The gospel is not just Jesus forgives your sin. The gospel is that Jesus forgives the guilt of your sin. Jesus didn't just take your sin to the cross. He took your shame and guilt to the cross. And this makes all the difference in how you feel. Jesus didn't just die for your sin. He died for your feelings. He died for your emotions. He died to remove that burden of, of guilt and shame from you. Maybe, maybe it helps some of us to write it down like this here. God removed both David's sin and guilt. And God wants to do the same thing for you. He wants to stop those beach balls from popping up in your mind and, and in your life. God wants to heal your heart so that you can feel peace and joy and freedom. And that's why a few verses later in Psalm 32, David says this, shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. David says, God didn't just forgive my sin. He gave me a new heart, a pure heart, because God knows sin poisons our hearts with guilt and shame and pride. Our hearts turn against us. Our hearts condemn us. That's why we get stuck in the sorry cycle and beach balls pop up. And so God gives us a new heart filled with his love and grace and forgiveness. Recently, I saw just a, it's a three-minute video that helped me understand how God transfers his love and grace into our hearts so that we can experience his forgiveness and healing. It's a story about Todd and Tara Storch from Dallas, Texas. Their 13-year-old daughter was killed in a skiing accident. And maybe this video will help you like it helped me, maybe for the first time, to understand how God can perform a spiritual heart transplant in your life. Take a look. Sunrise over the Phoenix suburbs. Todd and Tara Storch are here to continue the mission they began in March, the day their daughter Taylor, just 13, died in a Colorado ski accident, the day they decided to donate her organs. I don't know, excited is not the correct or right word. The Storchers say they came here because they had to. Their daughter may be deceased, but her heart lives on in the Valley of the Sun. It's the thing that's been on Tara's mind since day one. Hearing Taylor's heartbeat. That's really what I've wanted since the very beginning, is to find who has her heart um, and have a connection with that person. That person is Patricia Winters. Married to Joe, she's a nurse. At age 40, just one year younger than Tara. And they're both now raising two children. Her heart started failing five years ago after the birth of her second son. I felt like I wasn't going to last very long. Um, I was sleeping pretty much 18 hours a day and could hardly really do anything other than lay in bed. It was pretty pathetic. 
she was too weak to take care of her boys. Taylor's heart lets her be mom again. Just trying to find a new normal without having the missing piece of our five-piece puzzle. I can't wait till I'm able to hug the person that has her heart. That encouraged Patricia to reach out. By email, the two moms built a special bond. Tara and, and, and Patricia have been texting and emailing. They had their first conversation um, a day or two ago on the phone. Both couples faced the meeting excited yet nervous. The Storches finally pull up at Patricia's door. <laughs> The moms hug, heart to heart, for almost a minute. Then Todd joins them for a minute more. You know, I know this is, we should probably talk, and, but I need to hear her. Patricia retrieves her nurse's stethoscope. This goes around your ears like that. I cleaned it, okay? <laughs> Tell me if you can hear it. It is the sound of life itself. It is Taylor's gift. I am so sorry. And I thank you at the same time. I'm so glad you're good. Can you imagine that moment, what that was like for Todd and Tara to listen to their daughter's heart? And that's what God does for you. He gives you a new heart, the heart of his son. And God says, now you've got a strong heart, a healthy heart, a pure heart. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. When you say yes to Jesus, he moves in and he gives you his heart and he removes the guilt and shame. And, and you know, here's what happens. You, you give your heart to Jesus and he gives you his heart. And that's why we can move past our regrets. You give your heart to Jesus and he gives you his heart. And maybe some of you are ready to give your heart to Jesus, maybe for the first time. You ever, have you ever made your own decision to give your heart to Jesus? In the New Testament, when people would make that decision to give their heart to Jesus, they would mark that decision by getting baptized. Uh, we do baptisms by immersion. It reenacts the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. It illustrates how God washes away all your sin all your regrets. Baptism is like a starting line for a new life and a new heart. Give Jesus your heart, and he will give you his. And if you'd like to get uh, baptized, we've got this baptism opportunity coming up. We call it the Baptism Bash. We do this every year outside. It's coming up in, in two weeks. We've got everything that you need, and it's real simple. Just let us know. Just let us know. Fill out the welcome card. Stop at the Welcome Center if you have questions. If you're ready, we'll put you down. We'll add you to the list. Maybe some of you have already taken the step of baptism, but you still got some lingering regrets, maybe regrets of action, regrets of inaction, some you know, beach balls that pop up in your, in your uh, mind. But maybe you've never thought about regrets this way before. Reveal those regrets to God today. 
during communion. Release those regrets to him and say, God, thank you for forgiving my sin and my guilt. Thank you through your son for giving me a new heart filled with your love and peace and joy. Give your heart to Jesus and he'll give you his. And that'll move you past your regrets. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to share communion during this next song. I want you to really let these lyrics, let these words of this next song sink into your, into your mind and into your heart. And uh, when you're ready during this song, just go ahead and take communion. If you're here in the room, we've got communion available. It's on the table in the back of the room. If you're watching, you know, online, grab crackers, juice, or some other solid or beverage so that you can share this time of communion with us. Everyone's invited uh, to share communion because Jesus invites everyone to receive his gift of uh, grace. Let me go ahead and pray for us. God, we, we come to you today with regrets. We all have regrets. Times where we did something we wish we had not done or we didn't do something we wish we had done. We try to hide it. We push that beach ball under the water. But it's exhausting, and it just keeps coming back to the surface. And so, God, we surrender to your grace and love and mercy. We give our hearts to you. And we thank you because we know that through Jesus and his sacrifice that you forgive all our sin and guilt, and you give us a new heart, the heart of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.